Being Black in America comes with its challenges. However, we understand that enlightenment through education is the oppressor's worst fear. By bridging the gap between academia and the people, our purpose is to equip you with knowledge that breaks down barriers during your journey towards truth and freedom. Welcome to the Black and Highly Dangerous Podcast. Jeff, what's going on? Nothing much, nothing much. Just preparing for the return of Good Summer TV. We got uh, Power. Power's okay, back. Okay, yep, yep. Power, Power, um, right, right. Yeah, and I also watch this show called Big Brother. Like, it is like three episodes a week. It's just something to do, but uh-huh. I'm kind of excited That's not the show. That's not the same show where they, like, watch people, right? That, yeah, it is. Like a reality show? Yeah, it's a reality show. So, like, the people oh. live in a house and they play these games, but then you can also, like, watch them 24-7 on the computer. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I didn't know they still had that show. I didn't know it's still going on. Uh, and it's the 20th season. It, it just premiered. Yeah. So, I don't know why I like it, but once <laughs> you start watching it, you just kind of get caught up. So, I, yeah. I like that show. So, it's like the return of, like, summer TV. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, and you know, I think what well, some well, some start uh, insecure starting August, I think, right? Yep, yep. Looking forward to that. So, yeah, yes. I'm kind of excited about that. What's going on with you? Yeah, nothing. Get ready for the Fourth of July weekend holiday. We'll be in Atlanta this weekend. Nice. Going to nice. get a wedding for um, shout out to Jamel and Sarah tying the knot. So we'll be out there Aww. supporting them on this holiday weekend. So it'll be fun. Seeing the homies and celebrating love. <laughs> Don't you also? Isn't there another like holiday for you coming up? What holiday? A personal holiday? Oh, it's my birthday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. By the time this episode will have aired, my birthday is on July first. So that's also a little personal holiday. Try to make it to a national holiday. One day. <laughs> you gonna do anything big? Uh, do anything I don't, I don't have much plans because I'm planning to just celebrate with you know uh, friends and family when I get to Atlanta. And, and out there and stuff like that. So I'll just kind of reserve my fun until then and hold out. Okay. But I'm sure we'll do something small. Maybe go out to eat or something. Me and Chris and chill. We'll see what's yeah. up. Mm-hmm. Well, happy early birthday because it's not quite your birthday yet. It's about to be your birthday, but yep. happy early birthday. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Also, too, I want to let the fans know. Also, you, too, because I've been looking at, you know, we've been doing this five, six months now. So I was kind of like playing around with the analytics of, uh, of, of BHC podcast to see, you know, where, who has been listening to us and where, uh, cause we can look at that kind of stuff. That's pretty interesting. So, so far in the country out of 50 States, we've had listeners in 39 States. Okay. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Uh, some okay, states need to, nationwide. <laughs> yeah, nationwide. So, some states need to get on board. The States that haven't listened to us, some are like Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, <laughs> South Dakota, <laughs> North Dakota, Arkansas. So those places need to get on board, you know, and, and check this you out. You know what? I feel like it should be easier to get Arkansas. Arkansas is is still kind of in the South. So I, it's going to be hard to get those Dakotas, though. Yeah. Yeah. Arkansas, all the states around them have listened to us. Uh, but it's just that one state. Like nobody listens to us. But yeah, the Dakotas, everything in that region, Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, they're all close. So. Something we got to tap in that market somehow. Um, also, lets us know who has been listening to us internationally. 
and we have okay. 14 countries internationally. All right. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, 14 uh, uh, countries. We international. <laughs> we international players. Yeah. You know, so we got places like Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Spain, the UK, Australia, India, South Africa, Germany, France, etc., Honduras. So, okay. People been tuning Shout in. out to y'all. Yes. Shout out to y'all. If y'all want us to do some like international stuff, let us know. We'll find somebody. Let us know. <laughs> let us know. So it's pretty cool and exciting to just know that, you know, in various places around the country and around the world, we, you know, people tuning in a little bit, listening to BHD. So we appreciate it. Wherever you're at, we appreciate you tuning in for sure. Just wanted to get that, that little so cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's speaking of shout outs. Well, you, you wanted right. to shout out some other people. We we can shout out um before we get to oh Lord News, uh-huh. we can we can do a couple more shout outs. Did you hear about Democratic Socialists Alexandria Ocasio Cortez who won the uh primary in New York mm-hmm. and upset like a 10 term incumbent to potentially yeah. make it to the house. Yes, round of applause for that one. Yes. Congratulations to her. That's big because she's also um, young oh, too, right? Or, um, oh yeah, yeah. She's very young and just last year she was working in a restaurant so it's just kind of like Ty, Ty and I, listeners, Ty and I have continuously said, okay, we can do this. Mm -hmm. We can like start at the grassroots. We can start at the local level. You just got to be ready. You got to do it. And she is a testament to the fact that like with hard work, with grassroots campaigning, like all of her donate or most of her donations came from like small individual donors Mm -hmm. and things of that nature. It just goes to show that these things are possible. You just got to work for it. So, yeah, she showed um, I saw a post where she posted her shoes because people were trying to say like, oh, she just won because of like the momentum of the political climate. And she was like, no, you know, I won because I yeah, her shoes were like completely ragged, a big old hole in the bottom of them, torn up, dirty. Because she said she was out there knocking on doors and, and talking to people and learning and gaining their support the good old fashioned way. And that pays off, you know. Because uh, she's in the community and she's putting her face to a name and she actually won. Uh, so shout out to her for that. That's a big one. And hopefully I'm pretty sure we're going to see more like that. Mm-hmm. Taking these old time to old timers out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Don't say it cannot be done. She's a testament. Yes. So yeah, just while mm-hmm. we were shouting people out, wanted to shout her out. Oh, that was, yeah, that was a good one. That was a good one. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. All right, oh Lord, news time. Oh, yeah, man. oh Lord. Okay, yeah. All right, I'm, I'm nervous. <laughs> Let's see what we got. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to BHD News, where we give you the most current and eye-opening Oh Lord news of the week. Join us as we present news that'll make you want to say... Okay, so while we're on the topic of politics, I'm sure you heard, and this is Oh Lord, because everybody needs to be... On high alert, uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy retiring, giving Trump his second Supreme Court pick. 
when he might, yes, when he might have upwards of, you know, one or two more, because it's a couple older justices. We're going to have to pray for uh, our yes. RVG, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. <laughs> yes, man. Oh, man, that broke my heart when I saw that retirement coming. I said, oh, here we go. And come to find out that Trump had been working with him like very strategically over the last few months. Like this wasn't a surprise for Trump. He's been courting Anthony Kennedy as well as Ivanka Trump has been like courting like she was a special guest or her daughter was a special guest to one of like the um, Supreme Court hearings where they were given testimonies. Um. The last appointee, Neil Grouch or whatever his name is, he was one of Kennedy's um, clerks. So he has been courting Kennedy to say like, hey, I'm going to uphold your legacy. And that's the reason Kennedy did it. And this is supposed to help uh, the Republican Party out for the 2018 midterms. If they can show their voters, their supporters, like, look, we're getting stuff done. We're going to like appoint these very conservative people that want to overturn women's rights and overturn affirmative action and overturn, you know, everything else. So it's kind of like, yeah, that is a huge win for the Republican Party. Yeah. And I remember when this happened during the Obama time and Republicans were like, oh, no, we shouldn't, um, you know, uh, do this during an election year, election cycle, you know, midterms and stuff like that. They were fighting that tooth and nail. Tooth and nail. Here we go during election season. And it's like, oh, it's okay, We can do it. It's okay. Look at the hypocrisy. And they're using it for (laughs) a political gain, actually. And I would just say this is crazy. Okay, speaking of summertime TV, I don't know if you watch the show Handmaid's Tale. Do you watch that? No. Okay. Heard a lot about it. I'll check it out eventually. I'm sure. I I love that show. But what's scary is that one of the, um, so Trump has already made a short list um, of potential uh, picks. It's five. He's going to announce on July 9th. And one of the people that he's considering, her name is Amy Coney Barrett. And she belongs to this group called People of Praise. And guess what they call the women? Uh, what? Handmaids. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Yeah, this is pretty scary. So, yeah, I had to talk about that because it's just like we cannot sleep on this, y'all. This is why all these next elections like we need to we need to flip how like we need to get some more Democrats in so we can stop some of the damage he is doing. Y'all come on now. Yes. Yes. I know some people are like upset about the political system and the two party system. And some people like to refrain and not vote. But this is too important. We can't have another two years or so of this kind of damage and the things that can happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only going to hurt those that are marginalized. So if you are a person of color, if you are a part of the LGBTQ community, if you are a woman, if you are poor and you don't have money, you know, if you are pretty much not a white male, uh, you should be really concerned about what can happen here with these policies and these decisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is uh, making a lasting legacy through the judicial branch, whether it's like at the appeals level, at like these lifetime appointments, you know, at the federal level and at the state level, y'all, he is doing damage. 
Let's flip this house. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So I have another political story or it's kind of political, but kind of not. So um, we previously mentioned uh, the Antoine Rose uh, incident that happened in Pittsburgh. It was a shooting of a Um, 17-year-old. You know about that? Yep. Okay, so of course, people wanted to protest. They are angry, you know, protesting. That's the language of, you know, the people that are not heard often. Mm -hmm. So let me tell you what the mayor of a Pittsburgh uh, suburb said and posted on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So she posted a picture. It is a historic picture from 1963 of, of, of police officers spraying black protesters with a fire hose and attacking them with dogs. Mm. She posted this picture with the caption, they don't care about jobs for PHG. I guess that stands for Pittsburgh. None of them work now. That's how they do this at 7 a.m. Very sad. I'm posting this so authorities everywhere see this. I can agree with Tom. Bring the hoses. And she posted, yes, yes. She showed, posted the picture as an example of what, how the officers should respond to these protesters with hoses. And then to draw on a historic photo, a 1963 photo of black protesters being sprayed with hoses. Come on now. Come on, that's crazy. Why, man, this is this is some scary times we living in, you know, it's just it, people really want to take us back to those days. hundred Yes. Yes. And she said, we need these for tomorrow. Like, come on now, for real. You want to spray them with fire hoses? Of course, she tried to like apologize and stuff, but you knew what you were doing. You it's really it's really it's really hypocritical and, and just contradictory when people are you are in political positions or whatever and you are fighting against people's freedoms in this country, what we stand for. It's like, mm-hmm. should you be in these kind of positions where you're like upset and mad because people are doing what we are allowed to do, which is supposed to make America so great is that we have these freedoms to voice our opinions and things we mm-hmm. dislike, but yet that upsets you so much that you want to enact violence on people who are about peacefully expressing their views. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And I mean, that's exactly it. When you're expressing your views, when you want to have your guns and all that other stuff and somebody you think somebody's trying to infringe on your rights, all hell breaks loose. But when somebody that you don't agree with is trying to assert their rights, mm, is an issue. Come on now. Mm-hmm. Stop it's it. Crazy. Stop it. Got to do better. Okay, so for this last story, it, it is going to be fouled under the wild black category. Um, and there's a few wild black stories that I, I could have talked about today. But we're going to talk about this because it's, it's hot. So when it's hot outside and summer's out or school's out for summer, oftentimes young people try to uh, raise money or earn money by mowing lawns. You know, that's one of the things that I know a lot of young black males do to stay out of trouble, but also earn some money. Well, a 12-year-old boy near Cleveland, Ohio, was cutting the lawn of a uh, local resident. She hired him to do it. The lawn didn't have like a clear, um, 
kind of property line between her property and the next door property. Well, when the boy accidentally starts cutting the lawn of the person next to this neighbor, guess what they do, Ty? Oh, let me guess. They called in uh, the police officers to handle this situation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Calling <laughs> I mean, for me, if it was me, I would have been like, thank you. Like you did that on accident, but thank you. I would not call the freaking police on a 12 year old mowing a lot. What is this not the Texas chainsaw massacre? He's not running around with a damn chainsaw. He's cutting a lawn. This is ridiculous. Come on, people. It's not like, I mean, every week it seems like we're getting another story of of somebody, some white person calling on a black person, a black child for doing the most simple things. I mean, he's mowing the lawn and he comes on your property, your side, whatever the case is. And you feel like, oh, I got to call the police. You can't go outside and be like, hey, you know, I'm good or I don't need this or. Man, this is, you know, this is not, you know, this is not this person's lawn. Like, I don't know. It's so stupid. Well, thank God for social media. You didn't hear that. You heard that permit Patty uh, from last week. Oh, my goodness. Lying? Yes. How's you tried to go back and say, I didn't actually call the police. I uh, was just pretending to call the police. And you know what? I thought about that when she sat down the news. She was like, oh, I was pretending. But I'm like, I hope she's not lying because, you know, they record all of these things and they're going to go look for yours specifically. And they yes. did. She did it call was- the police. Lying with them tears, trying to be victim. Yes. But the good thing is, so the girl was doing that for Disney and somebody did like a GoFundMe and like she, you know, got the four tickets for Disney paid for. Mm, Nice. Uh, Well, you know, another here. I'm just tired of people. This is getting really scary, too, because these folks are weaponizing the police, man. Like for every Mm -hmm. little thing. 911 is for emergencies. You know, somebody's doing harm, somebody, not somebody selling water, not somebody cutting grass, especially children. And um, I don't know. I feel like there needs to be some kind of, we need to fix this a little bit because also when police are being used for these little silly things, it's taken away from actual emergencies that may be happening, you know, uh, that people may need those bodies for or police services for. And so it's like, uh, we got to start holding people accountable. Or, you know, ha- have something in place where it's like, listen, people, you, I don't know, but this is, we're, and they're weaponizing against children now, black children. So this has to be unacceptable. We got to fix this for sure. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, it needs to start being like file, uh, fines and like false complaint charges or, or something, be something because. I would appreciate, yeah, fines would make me feel better. Something that's like, okay, you did this. Hey, this is not a serious offense. This is not an emergency. You know, police services can't do anything about this. So we're going to you know, $100 fine or something like that. Get, get your stuff in order. But that can be tricky too, but I don't know. Something has to yeah. be done. Well, okay. Well, interesting. Old Lord, new stories as usual. As usual. We also have an interesting episode that was, uh, the focus of it is because one of you amazing listeners reached out to us with a question and we decided that we want to dedicate this episode to you, answer your questions about funding um, for college, especially if you're from like a middle-class background and you might not be eligible for some of the funding that's geared toward uh, 
those with uh, more financial need, um, as well as having a conversation about like college prestige. Mm-hmm. Does it really matter? Does it matter where you go? Yeah, yeah, that was, and this yeah. que- these questions stemmed from uh, one of uh, a, a lot of episode, episode that you guys liked a lot was the Game of Loans episode. Um, and so these questions stem from that. As far as just trying to figure out, does it matter? Where do I go to school? Getting a job, employment opportunities, um, different situations, have getting a job uh, while you have a family or preparing for your kids going to school. What are the things you should consider and look at? So we um, take a second dive into this aspect of higher education and hopefully, you know, give you guys some valuable advice. Uh, hopefully it's informative, especially to the listeners that had more questions. This is kind of round two to that conversation and um, hope helping you guys out a bit with some of the things we found and some of the things we know. We always try to bring some of our experiences to we've been in school for a long time. So we also were able to throw some of that in there in this uh, conversation as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. So hopefully y'all enjoy the convo and uh, we'll catch up with y'all later. All righty. Hello, everyone. Welcome to welcome back to the Black and Holly Dangerous podcast. As always, we're glad to have you here. Ready to listen. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, this episode is especially exciting because it is one of the first times that we will directly address a question or topic posed to us from a listener. So that's pretty exciting. Yes, um, these particular set of questions that come from as a response from our Game of Loans episode, which we did a few weeks ago, not too long ago. Um, and there's a lot of good feedback about the episode. I guess a lot of people were really interested in that topic and learned, got a lot of good information. And so we had a, quite a few follow up questions that want, people wanted to have some answers to. So hopefully today's episode will fill in some of those blanks and continue that conversation about higher education, um, funding options, et cetera. You know, some questions that people get or want to know, right, about getting a higher education, getting a a bachelor's, master's, doctorate degree is one, does it matter what school you go to, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The prestige Mm -hmm. of the school as far as outcomes and earnings and job potentials, employment, all that kind of stuff. So we'll address that. Other questions as far as, you know, a lot, we talked about for-profit and stuff last time, but this these questions center around what happens maybe if you're already working or you already have a job, a salary salary you can't afford uh, or qualify for, uh, maybe some kind of financial aid and stuff like that? What are your options then in trying to get higher education along those lines, too? Mm-hmm. So what I really appreciated about the question is that the listener was really interested in saying, like, you know, what if you don't quite meet the threshold to be considered um, a lower income family. So you don't get Pell Grant. You don't get a lot of need-based aid because your family makes a little bit more, maybe a lot of bit more um, than the need-based cutoff. However, with the cost of living, you know, in your city or maybe the the rising cost of tuition, although on paper it looks like you balling, you can't necessarily afford what the government says that you are expected to pay towards your child education. And I think that is a really good question because a lot of us are pursuing higher education. We're earning higher salaries, but making just above the uh, 
average household income could put you in a position to where you're expected to contribute a lot towards your child's education, but you're just getting by. So that's why I like this topic. So yeah, shout out out to our listeners for submitting this topic. And it's just a a real reality too, right? Like that most people are in that in-between. A lot of people are not low income and a lot of people are not rolling in dough where you got a lot of expendable income just to easily pay for higher education. And I think most people will fall into that gray area where it's like, dang, I don't qualify for this much assistance, but I can't just pay it off like this without a plan. So how can we do that or plan to do that? Or what things should we be looking for when doing that? So hopefully some of those questions get answered today, or at least we can help frame your thinking as far as the things you should consider when seeking higher education, if you are in that kind of position right now, which I think a lot of people really are. Mm-hmm. 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 So we'll start the discussion because um, there it was a multi, uh, multiple questions, you know, rolled up into one mm-hmm. larger question about higher education. So we'll start the conversation by just talking about institutional prestige, because as you're making decisions on where you're going to go to college or whether your child, where your child is going to go to college, you know, there are a lot of things to consider. So we'll start with the conversation about does the school matter? Does the name of the school matter for, you know, earnings as well as getting into like other types of institutions after undergrad? We'll then have a conversation about the importance of your undergraduate major. Does that matter? And then we'll have a conversation um, about some of the solutions for people or families who are in that in-between category and want to try to make the best decision for their child in regard to both institution and major so that they can come out of undergrad on the right side of the debt spectrum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's get started. So I guess when we talk about uh, one of the first questions is does it matter where you go to school, right? I think that's the first and foremost question. Because uh, again, many people are like, hmm, you know, I want to have the best outcome as far as job employment and job readiness, et cetera. But overall, does the college degree matter where I get my degree? Does it matter or will it impede or influence the kind of options that I have afterwards? Well, most research, most some research has begun to show that Honestly, it really doesn't matter uh, for the most part as far as where you get your degree from, um, especially when we're talking about earnings and employment. Uh, in 1999, economists Alan Kruger and Stacy Bergdale published this widely read study um, that really compared the earnings of graduates from elite colleges from graduates from moderately selective schools. So mid-tier schools, you know, not really prestigious schools. Many people would know them, probably local community, you know, schools. Um and the latter group was really composed of people who had who had been admitted to elite colleges, but chose to attend this kind of mid-tier universities. And so they wanted to see, you know, having the same kind of demographic as far as GPAs, et cetera, would, this, would the degree impact where they would end up in the long run as far as with the elites? Now, the, the theory is and the hypothesis probably that people who go to the elite schools should fare better than those who went to the mid-tier schools. But what the economists found is that the earnings of the two groups 20 years after graduation, okay, differed little to nothing at all. They also did a follow-up study in 2011 covering 19,000 college students, college graduates, and it also came to a same conclusion. Whether you went to a mid-tier school or you went to a prestigious, prestigious school, 
the job outcomes were unaffected in terms of earnings. Okay, so that's important because, again, people are considering college applications. And, of course, you always want to shoot for the stars, shoot for the best, shoot where the schools where people have or understand or know the most. But when it comes to landing a job, having a difference with the degree, not much there. Um, So that's significant to to consider, too, when you're trying to figure out what schools you want to go to, what schools you may want to send your kids to. The name really doesn't have that much impact overall. Mm. So does that so um, so that kind of looked at like long term, like 20 years after graduation. Did they say anything about what happens like right after? Does that matter? Does it matter as far as like what happens right after you graduate? Well, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, well, yeah. So I before I even get to that, I'll say this, too. Uh, and I think people are probably wondering why the import, why there isn't much of a difference Um with the gap between the two schools. Um, And they said mostly because employers during the hiring process look at the criteria, the skill sets that you're supposed to learn while you're in college, which is most important to them, not the the name that's on the degree. Um, So that's important to know. Mm -hmm. So it's like they seek people with these skills and that can apply to the particular job. And so that's what you're really going to get virtually wherever you go as far as what discipline you're studying in. Um, and so that's important. And, and, the, and, the, and a lot of these studies also look at and interview employers and ask them, what are they looking for when they're looking for people coming out of college? And it's not the name of the degree. It's like, what skills did you learn and how did you demonstrate that while you're at your institution? So you can be at Harvard or you can be at, you know, a smaller school and then you can still learn those same skill sets and be just as competitive in the workplace as well. Mm-hmm. 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 That 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 makes sense. I think people just want uh, workers with critical thinking skills, great writing skills. And I guess if you can demonstrate that through your interview or or through your resume, um, it, it makes sense. And I think that's good. Like, I don't I don't want there to be like this stratification system to where only people from certain schools get jobs or get good jobs or are able to earn high thing Cause you know, we have lots of colleges for many reasons. So it makes mm-hmm. sense or it, it would be a good thing if we can, we can all get jobs and we can mm-hmm. all earn mm-hmm. money. What I did find interesting though, is it seems like it's only very particular fields where the school name might matter. I read an article um, and it talked about how, Wall Street, like if you want to get into not necessarily just banking in general, um, like J.P. Morgan Chase or like banking at your like local uh, banking and financial institutions. But like Wall Street seems like a beast with, you know, of its own to where they really do care about uh, school name. But that's from what I found, that's probably like one of the only places like in terms of employment that actually came. Yeah, and it makes sense. And then I saw when I was preparing for this, too, that one of the reasons for that, right, uh, especially in the business field is not because business field, not because, you know, at places like Harvard Business and stuff like that, that they're receiving a much better education in terms of business related material at Harvard than at a smaller school. Pretty much the material is the same across the board. It's not going to be much variation there. The big differences in the business sector is that the bigger schools, bigger name schools just have a little bit uh, better networking 
opportunities and internship opportunities in that field, um, which then allows students to get their foot in the door to these bigger brands and names and companies uh, when they leave. So it's not even as far as what you're learning at these schools that differ. It's just about the opportunities that present itself and the networks that they can give you. And so that's the major difference even with that. Uh, it's not the de- degree itself, the name, it's just that what the institution can provide for as far as experiences in that next phase. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, um, I, I guess you could think of better think about it like nepotism, like people who know people, like maybe just from like, historically speaking, um, Wall Street bankers came from these particular schools. Who are they going to reach back to? So, you know, if you do want to land in those spots, okay, yeah, you can shoot for those schools or you just got to strategize and come up with a plan for how do you get yourself Mm -hmm. into those networks? Maybe during college, it is applying for certain internships or, or things of that nature, but you... You would, I guess, have to strategize a little bit more in terms of how do you get into this particular um, space if you mm-hmm. don't have mm-hmm. that network. That's important. Um, and so to continue on about the degrees, really, in a more broader sense, before we get into some of the specific things about it, um, there was this uh, major study called The College Payoff. You guys can Google it. This is where I'm getting this current information from. And it was conducted by a group of researchers at Georgetown University, the Center on Education and the Workforce. Um, and in this, they have some pretty cool charts and information as far as what, you know, it looks like lifetime earnings for getting certain degrees. And so, again, another question is before we even get into do you need a specific degree and what that degree is, it's good to know, just generally speaking, do the degrees matter as far as lifetime earnings? And yes, as you can imagine, the higher the degrees, the more degrees you get, the overall higher the lifetime earnings are. Right. So you have a professional degree which gives you for an average or the median out the not the average, but the median lifetime earnings of a professional degree um, is $3.6 million over a lifetime. Then behind that is a doctoral degree, PhDs and stuff like that, where it's 3.2 million. Then a master's degree, you see a significant drop to 2.6 million bachelor's degree, 2.2 million associate's degree, 1.7 million, some college 1.5 high school diploma, 1.3 and then less than a high school a diploma would be 973000 on average. So you do see that getting a degree overall, the median can increase your overall lifetime earnings the higher you go with the particular degrees you earn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, got to get that money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you want to get that money, you want to get that degrees. But when we look at and taking it a step further and trying to see, okay, because we, we know that, right? And that, that information I just presented probably isn't new to everyone. But I think the next phase is what people need to ask yourselves is, is the degree that I'm getting, if I'm trying to get a higher degree, is it necessary for the field of profession that I'm in? Okay. And so within this same study, they actually do a breakdown as far as the lifetime earnings of people in um, certain fields. And it does. And so what I'll, I'll break down just a couple. They have about eight or so, um, right? So it has from less than high school category all the way to professional degree category. Um, And so in some fields, right, it matters getting the highest degree possible. For instance, in the health professionals field, getting a professional degree has a, is a substantial impact on your overall lifetime earnings compared to getting a doctorate and below. Getting a a professional degree is a health professional. Again, this is like being a doctor and stuff like that. You earn well over $4.5 million lifetime earning. 
right? Versus you get a doctorate, it's a little bit under four, four million, about four, yeah, a little bit under four million. And then having a master's is under three million. So it's almost a million dollar difference between a master's degree, a doctorate, and a professional degree in the health professional. So if you are in the healthcare professional foot field, you are maximizing your potential lifetime earning potential by going after that highest degree possible. Right. But in other fields, right, such as blue, if you're in a blue collar field workforce, okay, getting a associate's degree and a bachelor's degree virtually has no difference as far as how much money you'll make over a lifetime. It's it's almost exactly the same, just about about one point seven five million or so lifetime earnings. And even getting a bachelor's degree is about one point nine million lifetime earnings. So getting a degree right if you're in that blue collar field doesn't show or doesn't have much impact overall as far as what you can earn. We see the same thing in health support, right? And these are people who might be nurses, nurse practitioners. Virtually no difference between an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree as far as lifetime earnings as well, right? Um, and then you see some degrees, of course, when it comes to things like education, the higher you get uh, getting a, a doctorate, getting a master's, the higher, higher degrees you get there will, of course, award you more monies in the STEM field. I know a lot of people and a lot of our listeners are in the STEM field, right? What's more important? Um, again, there is a good, a big gap. You get about 3 million overall for getting a bachelor's degree in um, uh, the STEM field, but then it goes up to about 3.5 million for a master's degree and just a, just a little bit above 3.5 million for getting that PhD and doctorate. And actually getting a professional degree in that field, in that STEM field, actually is the lowest. It's almost just the same as getting a bachelor's degree as far as lifetime earnings. So again, getting a professional degree in the STEM field wouldn't make any sense. You'll make the same amount of money almost getting a bachelor's degree, but getting that PhD or master's will give you about half a million dollars more overall. So these are the questions you have to ask yourself, um, kind of what Daphne was just saying earlier too, when you look at the managerial and professional fields. Um, Big gap between probably one of the biggest gaps between getting similar to education between having no college or an associates to actually completing the degree. So if you're in fields like education, you're in fields like managerial, professional or business, you definitely want to finish that degree, that four year degree or more. Uh, there's and pretty much getting a master's and doctorate and professional degree within a master's doctorate and professional within the business sector is all virtually the same. So getting a business, getting a bachelor's, then getting a master's is probably you could just stop at the master's. Not much difference between a doctorate and a professional when you're talking about that. So again, looking at these things when you're in the field, depending on the field you're in, you want to really look at where is it um, do I need this degree, right? If I'm, if I want to be a health support, well, you really don't need a bachelor's and associates is just as fine and you'll earn just as much lifetime earning doing it. And so that can be less of a burden. You can get it quicker, less money. Um, and then you'll still be able to get into that work and get that work experience faster too. So there's a lot to consider when you're, when you're trying to figure out this whole degree getting situation. Actually, you know what, uh, what you just said kind of reminded me of a few of our friends that we went to grad school with that were in engineering fields, and they had the option to continue on with the PhD or leave with the master's. And when they're like, I'm about to make six figures regardless, and I can make it sooner than if I stay on and complete this PhD, you know, and quite a few of them left with, oh, with the I masters. Because it's just like, okay. <laughs> and I did not blame them. Once I know heard the money they was making, I said, goodbye. You know, that, that's, that's right. Yeah. You're right. A lot of my close friends at Purdue uh, were in because it produced a big engineering school, STEM school. And yeah, you're right. A lot of them were there starting initially to get their PhDs, attain the masters, saw those job offers, 
saw them checks coming in way and they left, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then realize that like when you, cause you think about the cost benefit mm-hmm. analysis. Oh, okay. I can stay in school for another three years and my salary might be only marginally more with this master's or more with this PhD versus with this master's, or I can go ahead and start making my six figures mm-hmm. now and, you know, probably just work my way up to a higher salary. So it definitely mm-hmm. made sense mm-hmm. to me. And those, yeah, those are the types of things you have to think about. Cause I know quite a few people in like the education field who will go back and get master's degrees um, because they know that there's this guaranteed bump in their salary. And so it's like making sure that the cost of that degree, whether it's cost with time or cost with money is worth the payoff in the end. And if it's not, you know, sometimes it's sometimes more degrees yeah, aren't always yeah, better. It's true. That is the truth. You had to relook at the outcome and what it can get you, you know, and all this information is readily available on the internet where you can just look it up and see, you know, if I'm in this field, if I get this degree, what are the potential earnings compared to if I don't have it or get something more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, speaking of graduate school, um, so, you know, the person who sent the question was interested in graduate school. But I think when we talk about prestige and whether undergrad matters, we should also have a conversation about not just whether prestige matters for like employment and earnings, but does it matter for being able to get into Mm -hmm. graduate school? And so um, I... So I would say it really depends on your ultimate goal. Like I, you can get into graduate school. Um, if you have the grades, I, I don't think your institution that you went to for undergrad is going to stop you from getting into graduate school. It might impact like where you land in terms of rankings for graduate schools. But then you have to ask yourself, do graduate school rankings matter for what you're ultimately mm-hmm. trying to do? So, for instance, there was a study by a Vanderbilt economics and law professor um, who it was called Catching Up is Hard, Undergraduate Prestige, Elite Graduate Programs and Earnings Premiums. Um, and they used national college survey data. And essentially what they found is that uh, the long term income of graduates with master's professional and uh, or they analyze the income of graduates with master's and professional degrees um, and they assign them to tiers based on institutions type. So there could be like tier one versus tier four. And, you know, what they ultimately found is that uh, nearly a third of students from tier four schools, uh, tier four undergraduate schools, which is a, a lower tier, go on to. Um, earn graduate degrees. So that is a pretty decent amount, but only 7% of them go from like a tier four undergraduate school to a tier one graduate mm. school. And that 64, 66% of them that went to a tier four undergraduate school ended up at a tier four graduate program. Um, so yeah, I guess we can talk about that. Um, and, Talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. About why we think that happens. Yeah. And and let's even, for our listeners too, right? Because co- I'm just thinking, as you were talking, uh, I get a lot of, in that transition phase, right? Not only is, mm-hmm. graduate the question is, is graduate school necessary for me? But a kind of, they're kind of, uh, let's 
not they kind of they don't know much about graduate school, right? Like, is it hard? Mm-hmm. Can I do it? What's it like? So can you even just speak to a little bit, I guess, from your experience, right? Because you're also currently in it, but you also obtain a master's degree and bachelor's degree, et cetera. So from your experience, Daphne, what would you tell our listeners as far as if they wanted to go to graduate school? What would you expect from getting a master's degree? What should they expect for getting a PhD? Well, from your experience, what you say, what would you say are the differences when you're giving that advice? So for me, so um, I often give advice about people who are interested in uh, pursuing PhDs. And one of the biggest things that I ask them is whether you need a PhD or whether a master's would do for you. For me, I feel like a PhD is a very, um, it's generally an academic degree. Um, Usually, I don't know why anyone would want to spend six to eight years of their life conducting research um, through this graduate training program and not want to go on to do that. Um, Because oftentimes, kind of like what we said with the engineering thing, you can receive a master's to get that salary bump. So I feel like PhD is often very particular to someone who wants to conduct research for a living, whether that's at an academic institution or whether that's like at a research like think tank or something like that. So one, you need to ask yourself, why are you getting this degree? Is it you want to become a better professional in your current field or are you trying to become a higher education instructor or researcher? So that's one thing that I would ask. And I feel like that's when rankings might come into play a little bit more. Um, Because if this is just about gaining the knowledge that you need to become a better professional in your field, kind of like the undergraduate degree, you want to find a program that has the curriculum that you need. And I don't think institution probably matters as much. But in in my opinion, with, with the academic game and PhDs, Mm, yeah, it matters sometimes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think it does matter. Um, and again, it just really depends. Each everybody's situation is going to be different. But even like Dave was saying, it kind of really depends on what your overall goals, what you want to do. Um, when I have a lot of students come to my office and they ask me about graduate school, this is kind of big misconception, right? That because you're getting an advanced degree, that it's going to be all of a sudden a hundred thousand times harder than it was getting your bachelor's degree. And I just don't think that's the case. Once you've gotten your bachelor's degree, however, whatever kind of student you were, whatever that experience was like, it's not going to be much different, at least for getting a master's degree, I would say. It's almost an extension of that, right? You're still going to take classes. You're still going to probably take exams and write papers. You're, you may just be with a little bit older student population. Maybe the professors give a little bit more work, right? Um, but overall, it's not going to be too much more of a of a like, whoa, what am I in this whole new world? Once you get the bachelor's, you'll be quite you'll you'll transition into a master's program uh, fairly easy. And with the Ph.D. programs, it's definitely more so where you have to be ready to become more independent in your studies, in your own curriculum. You'll have to be able to really think critically, figure out what it is you want to study Figure out a way to love doing research because, yeah, you'll take your classes, but what gets you to PhD is actually the research you conduct and the questions you ask and writing it up. And a lot of that is autonomous and you're very independent, right? Um, and you don't have the kind of backing and guidance as you would in maybe a master's program or a bachelor's program. And so that's what you have to be ready for. And so the average time it takes to complete a most 
PhD programs from start to finish is five to six years, but it's not uncommon that many also take seven to nine years to complete as well. Um, so you have to also put that time factor in. Well, probably the first two, three or so years you'll be taking coursework and those latter two to three years, you might just be doing research um, and preparing to do your dissertation and, and publishing that and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's a different kind of ball game. I would say that there's a not much difference between masters and bachelors as much difference between masters and bachelors, but there is probably a, a good di- difference between getting a PhD and, and the other, the others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to know, I think GPA probably is just as important as like your undergraduate institution. Like, Mm -hmm. don't think that you can go to Harvard and have like a 2.7 GPA and that's going to get you into a graduate program. Mm -hmm. Like if you graduate from what might be considered like a less prestigious institution and you have like a 4.0 or 3.75, something like that, that's going to get you attention. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's important to figure out. Like, I don't want anybody to think like, oh, you have to go to a certain institution just to get into, you know, a tier one or tier two graduate school. Um, But the work you do in undergrad matters. Mm -hmm. And I think the GPA is probably more important than anything. Oh, you're 100% right. I mean, that is the first thing I tell my freshmen when they come in my office. I tell them from jump. I'm like, listen, have your fun, do what you do. But what is going to get you into that next phase, if you're talking law school, you're talking graduate school, you're talking about whatever, is your GPA. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. your moneymaker. And once you get to that next phase, you'll be good. But getting there, that step between bachelor's and the next phase, it really, most of it is going to ride on your GPA. And you're going to want to have a very strong GPA. And once you do that, a lot of doors open. Not even just for going to graduate school and stuff like that, but also for job opportunity, for um, and internship opportunities as well. A lot of them look mm-hmm. at that like, what's your GPA, right? And if you don't have a good GPA, then they're, they're like, okay, well, we don't want this kind of student here. Um, so that also helps you not just by graduating going above and beyond, but potential employment opportunities too. So keep that in mind. That's an excellent point. GPA, 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 GPA. And I think it's even more, to me, GPA is more important to me in most cases than standardized test scores and stuff like that as well. Um, because mm-hmm. it tells more mm-hmm. of a picture right, of what you've done that whole four or five years, a test is like that one time frame. Okay, we get a general sense, but your GPA tells it what kind of student were you for the whole five years. And this is the kind of person I'm going to bring to my job or bring to my internship or bring to my graduate school or whatever. And that's what's a good indicator of. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the greatest GPA, just know that you probably need to ace the standardized test. Yes, you get what I'm saying? So like. It's a, it's a balance. If you have both, oh, you good. You got a good GPA and good standardized test scores. You you real good. If you have a good GPA, it shows that, okay, you're a hard worker, you're diligent, you're doing these things. And that can really make up for, you know, lower standardized test scores. Um, but sometimes people will look at like a low GPA and high standardized test scores and they'll be like, okay, this is somebody that is smart, but they don't work mm-hmm. hard. They don't apply themselves. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. They don't apply themselves. And so, you know, sometimes that high standardized test score can save you. But sometimes people are just looking like, oh, this is just wasted potential. And they're going to come here and continue wasting that potential. So, mm-hmm. you know, work hard on a yeah. one strike. Because I, I won't lie. Um, I, when I got to my undergraduate institution, I almost flunked out. Oh man. Can you take a yes. Can you take a guess what my GPA was at the end of my first semester? Uh, since you said that, I'm going to say like a two, seven, throw it out there. 
Go lower. Oh, no. Two four. <laughs> Go lower. Oh, a two oh, daddy. Go lower. No, stop playing. <laughs> no, no lie. At the end of my first semester of college, I had a one point five seven GPA. My goodness, you you had to work hard for that one. <laughs> oh Lord, I had to work hard for that. So I mean, you so you can't recover. So what happened was I had an A, a B, a C, a D, and an F. The A was in a one-hour piano class. It wasn't even in like a real class. It was, I I don't know. So what happened was, is I came in, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to be pre-med. And so I had this advisor who was randomly assigned to me. They weren't necessarily helpful. And they were just like, yeah, sign up for this class, this class, and this class. I was in like, you know, biology, calculus, like all of these crazy hard courses that if anybody who is in the know would tell you, they would be like, no, you spread those out, like try to have some hard classes and try to have some easy, you know what I'm saying? You try to balance it out. I didn't figure that out until like close to the like drop deadline or the switch deadline. So although I did switch some of the classes out, when I switched to like some like easier classes just to try to balance out my schedule, I was already behind in those classes because my school had kind of a late switch deadline. So I had missed like two or three weeks of one class mm. and it was a math class. It's hard to catch up. When you miss the first steps of a math class, yeah. you're going to be lost the <laughs> whole time. You walk and I class, was lost. Like, what is this? <laughs> what is this? Uh. And it's crazy because one, I was immediately able to raise that GPA because the math class that I got the F in, mm -hmm. which, and I, I am like, so when I was in high school, I had to take like this gifted test. I was gifted in math. So I actually am really good at math. This was my first time ever getting a bad grade in math. And so at the end of that semester, when I got my grade back, oh, also, if my GPA had been like just like a, a tenth lower, I would have had to sit out my second semester mm. of college. Like I made I made the literal bare minimum to be able to stay in my second wow. semester. And so what happened is I ended up, you know, you got to read. So I read my university's catalog and found that if you retake a class, although that class will remain on your transcript, that bad grade will remain on your transcript, it won't remain in your GPA. So second semester, I decided to retake that math class. As soon as I re-registered for that math class, that F was taken out of my GPA. And I did go up to like a two something. Mm. And then when I retook it that spring, don't you know, on like the first or second day of class, it was like a eureka moment because I realized why I was lost for the entire <laughs> class. It was literally a step in a problem that I just I didn't know because I was not present yeah. for that class. It was so crazy. And I, I ended up getting a B plus in that class. Mm. Um so it was kind of like, and then, so after my very first semester, or after my second semester, uh, my second semester GPA was like a 3.2. And so when it balanced out, I ended up with like a 2.7 at the end of the year. So, and then I ended up graduating with a 3.3 because, you know, I just grinded yeah. really hard. So you can recover, but you got to know how to put that schedule together from the very beginning so that 
you don't you're not like Daphne. <laughs> <laughs> yes, learn learn from our mistakes, people. Learn from our mistakes. It's about being transparent. Um and it didn't stop the the, the good takeaways from this too is like, listen, people make mistakes and things happen, but it doesn't stop you get your head on track. It doesn't stop you from getting where you want to be, right? I mean, now Daphne's completing a PhD at Harvard University, right, from that start. So it doesn't mean, you know, you because something happened that you can't make it to where you want to be and end up in some really great places. And, and you know, no, I mean, I, I can't, I don't have that similar story as far as how I started out. <laughs> but I would say that, like, you know, my freshman year was um, my second semester. I think my first semester I did fairly well. And then my second semester, I'm like, oh, okay. Kind of took the foot off the pedal. And then I got like a one, like a C or a C minus in like this biology class. And then by the, when I saw what that C did to my GPA, I was like, oh no, no more this. Like it was just like, it just mm-hmm. like, I'm like, I got, I got like A's and B's the first semester and the second semester I got one C. And all of a sudden, like it just took a big hit. And I'm like, I can't do this no more. And so then I straightened up. Um, but I would say too, like, as far as even getting into graduate school, like my GRE scores was like average at best, you know, was nothing superior, but I had a strong GPA as well. And that allowed me to get into the PhD program. Right. So even if like what we said earlier, there can be like this balancing effect where I didn't even, I wasn't even stressing the GREs cause I know my GPA was so strong. I was like, you know, I just want to do okay. I don't want to have like a terrible score, but I know if I just show I, I am competent in some aspect, then I know I'll be good enough because I can show the effort for my GPA. Mm-hmm. And for me, I was like, Lord, I'm going to have to study my behind off of this GRE to make up for what would be considered, what could be considered like a lower GPA for graduate school. So generally you need a 3.0 to get into graduate school. But if you want to get into like more, you know, like competitive schools, like a Purdue, um, you know, Harvard, Vanderbilt, all of those things, you might need mo- a little bit more than the bare minimum. You get what I'm saying? And yeah, I would say probably around three, five and above, you know, if you can. Yeah. I, yeah. Three, five and above. Um, that's like higher, higher honors. Um, highest honors is like mm-hmm. 3.75 or something like that. But I would say shoot for a 3.5. But I had to study my behind off for the GRE um, in order to make up for it. And it did. Once you get in, you good, mm-hmm. though. You Gucci. Yeah, that's, that's yes. Once you get it, get it, you are Gucci. That is a hundred percent. Oh man, I can't. My mom will always like be wondering, like, because once I got to graduate school, like I was just like I just the pressure was kind of off. Like I knew what I had to do, you know, to get the degree, but I wasn't like and batch when I was getting my bachelor's, I was more intense with my studies, like because I know I had to go, I know I had to go. But then once I got into Purdue, I'm like, all right. You know, I'm not going to fail. I know I'm going to do what I got to do, but I just felt like a little bit of weight lifted off my shoulders. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Getting in there, like, you know, it's the last phase and I know I got this. But yeah, a um, little sidebar. But yeah, that's, I, I think it's important, you know, just to get our experiences so you guys can also know, like, you know, our way to the top or where we are was not just like this perfectly aligned road to get us to where we are today. Oh, oh. no, it was not, honey. <laughs> I went through the fire. <laughs> I had to even petition to like not lose my scholarship. Like I, Tennessee had like a lottery scholarship and you had to maintain like a mm-hmm. certain, like I literally had to like petition to keep it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one thing, um, so we're talking about graduate degrees and a part of our question from the listener was also asking about the field of study and subject and like 
understanding the value, I guess, of different subject areas and, and whether that matters. Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about that as well. So there's this interesting statistic that says, um, research says that 62% of recent college graduates are working in jobs that require a degree. So, you know, the majority of people are working in a job that they couldn't have gotten without their bachelor's degree. Yet, only 27% of college graduates are working in a job related to what they majored in in college. Does that surprise you? Uh, surprise. No, it doesn't, you know, uh, because I understand the landscape and that's what happens. <laughs> but I know it can surprise a lot of people. Yeah, it, it kind of reminds, uh, uh, reminds me of a comment you made earlier about how what employers are looking for are certain skills, not necessarily the name of the institution or a certain major. I think unless it's something like engineering, like, okay, yeah, you are not about to apply for a job as an engineer without an engineering degree. Come on now. Yeah, exactly. But if it's a job that generally requires like good writing skills, good communication skills and things of that nature, there are a lot of college majors that can fit that description. Yeah, that's true. Um. That's also interesting um, because even when it comes to graduate school, so when you think about things like law school, you don't need to major in pre-law to get into law school. What you need to do, if you really want the T, what you need to do is major in something that you can get a high GPA in because that GPA matters more than the subject of your degree. Real talk. Yeah, it does. It really does. Uh, the only and the only thing that I would say undergraduate major probably matters for is like pre-med engineering because you have to have certain prerequisites before you can get into medical school. But when it comes to something like law school, um, business school, um, things of that nature, there's a little bit more leeway in what you majored in as, in undergrad. Because Ty, you didn't even major in psychology, and you got to... I meant major in psychology. I majored in psychology, yeah. And then I, yeah, I majored in psychology. I got my bachelor's in psychology and I went for my PhD in sociology. Yeah. And my my bachelor's degree was in human development. I started off in a sociology PhD program and now I'm in an education program. So when it comes to things like that, there's a little bit more leeway to where, unless you're going like strictly for like a... a bachelor's of nursing or pre uh, pre med or engineering. A lot of the times, your su- the subject of your degree doesn't matter. I will say the only difference is what I, I did find this interesting study that said for women and especially women from disadvantaged backgrounds, uh, it is more. What they study is more important than where they study if they want to close the pay gap. So uh, for women who attended like elite colleges, uh, they still experience like a high pay gender gap between men and women. But for women who study lucrative majors, regardless of where they went to school, that pay gap kind of disappeared. Mm. So I thought that was kind of interesting that, yeah, that is a point. That's interesting. 
Mm-hmm. So I guess it's for women that are majoring in like STEM fields. Um, I'm pretty sure there's still some gap, but it closes more than if you are like a woman that thinks, oh, I can go to Harvard and it's going to automatically close my pay gap when, you know, you could go to your local institution and maybe major in biomedical engineering and close that pay gap. Mm. Yeah, that's important, especially with like, um, you know, some stats I've seen <clears throat> as far as like from the National Science Foundation, they, they kind of reporting on like, especially like things like doctorates. And I know earning a doctorate can lessen the uh, decrease that gap between men and women's earning potentials. And, you know, from 1995 to 2006, the share of female doctorate recipients grew from 44 percent to 51 percent. And even today, since then, females, women are uh earn more have been earning more doctorates or just a little over more doctorates than men um overall so that's important so this may be a trend we see that continues to see that gap decrease uh as far as with doctorates are concerned at least in phds um and it's interesting we look at blacks just i'm looking at the race stuff too um since 2005, we've seen there's only been a very small increase as far as how many Blacks earn PhDs, from 6.2% to 6.5%. Uh, and I think one of the great, the greatest number that we've seen is with Latinos, went from 5% to 7%. But that's still a very small number of uh, PhDs that are, are, are Black overall. It's kind of crazy. No, I agree. And when we're talking about like being able to afford higher education, I actually wish more uh, people of color would pursue uh, doctorates, um, research doctorates, because, you know, if as long as you are applying to um, an accredited institution, typically a brick and mortar institution, uh, you're going to get paid to earn your Ph.D., mm-hmm. You're not paying. They are paying you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And that's, a, that's an important thing to talk about. Um, and even, when, again, one of the things I talk to my students about when they come in and talk about graduate school and options, and they're like, because sometimes some of them are dealing with loans in undergrad, and they're like, oh, you know, I don't want to pay for that. Oh, how much more schooling is it? You know, and that kind of turns them off a little bit. But I'm like, listen, what if I told you you can get this PhD for free, you know, would you consider it? And I would probably say eight times out of 10, they're like, what? And they actually consider it. And, and it turns them on to actually thinking like, oh, I can do this. And maybe this is something I can do or would like to do once you hear it's free. And I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's a pretty high percentage of most PhD programs have things in place where they fully fund their uh, students, their graduate students. So you have to look into that various different ways. Um, but it is a common thing. You're probably more likely, actually, I'm probably sure on this, you're more likely to get funded for a PhD program than you are a master's program. Master's programs are very competitive. A lot of people pursue them um, for a lot of different reasons. So it's probably harder to get more competition for things like scholarships, fellowships, or whatever. Uh, While PhD programs, although they may accept far less people, but if you do get accepted, they usually are looking for ways to make sure you're funded, either by a researcher, by a research assistant, teaching assistant, fellowship, all these kind of different things. Um, and there's a loophole in that, which we'll talk about in a second, too. But that's something to consider as well. Um, I agree with your sentiment that it is 
um, easier to get funding for a PhD than it is for a master's degree for for all the reasons that you cited. I know in my school, um, they have PhD programs and they have master's programs because I'm, I'm at a school of education. And most people are coming through the school of education for the master's program and are taking out loans. Mm. And that is it's, it's not an option for me, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I can't do it. Um, but you talked about a loophole. <laughs> Is it the loophole? Yeah. I think oh, you're yeah. talking about. It's the loophole about. I'm talking about that I've seen oh, get Lord. pulled off. So this is a BHD exclusive, people. <laughs> BHD exclusive. Mark this. Mark this. Because we've been, we've been through the game and we want to, you know, shed some light as far as what, how you can get, potentially get that master's degree for free if you like. Now, the key is this, okay? And I, you know, whatever. I'm getting this information out there because nobody's copyrighted. It's free information. And I think a lot of times this is this informal knowledge is how other people, the majority, you know, they pass it along and they learn these things and they get ahead, right? And so the key here is this. Like we just said, getting a PhD is usually fully funded. Many PhD programs, okay, also have a, you can get a master's degree along the way to the PhD program, right? Purdue was one of those, the program I came into, right? Although I was accepted to the PhD program, right? Fully funded for five years. After two years, I got awarded my master's degree, okay? Now, of course, this is unconventional, right? You're not supposed to say this, and this shouldn't be your intention, right? Whatever. There were a lot of people OK, who were who came in with got their PhD were in the PhD program. Right. Said again, PhD after they got their master's, they left. Right. They set up oh, PhD is not for me. Uh, or maybe I want to go a different route. Maybe I want to go a different school. And they left with degree in hand, master's degree in hand, fully funded for because they were on the PhD track. OK, this is a it's, I'm not saying it's a strategy that people do, but it can you can think about this right when you're applying now. The smart thing to do is no. When you're applying to these programs, you say nothing but you want a PhD. I mean, that's the key. Do do not do not that be like, um, you know, I'm just getting this PhD so I can get my master's and leave. Don't say that at all because it won't happen. You won't get accepted. It has to be you want a PhD. You're sold on that. You're nothing's going to stop you from getting that PhD. You sell that. You sell that. You sell that. But in the back of your mind. You have that plan B where it's like, hmm, maybe this isn't the program I want to be in full time. Maybe my advisor may leave. Maybe there's another program. But at least I know I can leave with this master's without any kind of debt and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you not only will that master's be free, but you will likely be earning a stipend. I'm not you're not going to get rich, but it'll be something more than, you know, what you would have otherwise. So I I agree. So that was not my intention. So I started off in the same program as Ty. I came in through the PhD program. Mm -hmm. My advisor ended up leaving. And so I earned my master's after my second year and going into my third year, you know, I had to decide whether I was staying or whether I was leaving. I was interested in education. There was no one in the program currently focus at that time focus on education. So I decided to leave. Now, if I had decided to leave and not apply to a different PhD program, I would have just earned a free master's degree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like Ty said, like, look, even if that is your strategy, if you're applying to PhD programs, there's a script. I want, I want a PhD. 
I want to go into the academy. I want to do research. You love, love, I love do research. Re- I love research. It keeps me going at night. It keeps me pumped. So you got to learn the script and follow yes. the script because that's mm-hmm. what you call playing the game. Yes. And that's what we got to be good at, people. And like I said, I came in, my cohort came in with about 10. Okay. All of us going to get that PhD. Uh by the time I graduated, one came in with a master's already. So he graduated a couple years before I did. Uh, and by the time I graduated, it was just me and one other person of my cohort. So out of the 10, only seven of us completed our PhD in that program. Right. I mean, I mean, out of the 10, only three of us completed that PhD in the program and seven other people got their master's degree and either stopped or went somewhere else. And that was it for free. So think about that. Right. So I'm not lying to you. What I'm saying this program of 10 people only three of us finished seven of them did not got the master so it's not an uncommon thing that happens in programs it happens it's a lot. not because <laughs> some people even who go into phd programs and genuinely went in thinking they wanted a phd they realize like man this isn't for me and so you know programs award you for you know your time spent and that's typically with a master's degree after the second um and depending on the program it could be after the third year after you pass general so it just really depends on the program but those are the types of things you research beforehand yes so for all my people out there if you're considering a trying to get a master's for free or you even thinking about getting a phd and want to get into a program look into that looking to see if now some programs are slick. I've heard of some programs that your master's will not count until you finish your PhD, right? Um, which are not that common, but they are out there. So you don't want to just say, oh, it has a master's program. I'm good regardless. You want to make sure that mm-hmm. you make sure you get that degree. It's going to count once you get it um, along the way. So so this little PhD exclusive of how to play the game a little bit as you're trying to figure out mm-hmm. what you want to do. And of course, you yeah. can always email us for more advice if you have more questions about, you know, more detailed nuances or whatever about it. So that's how you get your uh, master's and your PhD paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know our listener, I think they have children that are like in middle school and high school. So, you know, I'm pretty sure they're worried about their education, but they're probably also worried about like, how are we going to pay for this undergraduate stuff for our kids Mm -hmm. and so you know remember the last um the game of loans episode we talked about the 529 plan so please invest in that um you can go to a bank go to somewhere like jp morgan chase um google it to open up a 529 college investment plan any money that you put in that uh is tax-free you can take out you can take out anything you put in tax-free. You will pay taxes on the interest that the money earns, but you only do that if you take out the money to pay for something other than tuition mm. or you know special or designated education expenses as you know, decided by the Department of Education. Mm-hmm. So that is a way to Essentially, that is literally invested in your child's education because you're earning interest on what you put in. So I, I think everybody should have that. Um, one thing we also talked about is the importance of community colleges. Mm-hmm. So there, uh, there are quite a few four-year institutions that have guaranteed transfer programs from certain community colleges. 
And that's something that I would look into, uh, like like Google guaranteed transfer programs, because that might mean that, you know, you spend the first two years of schooling at a community college or maybe the first year, because maybe they want to see like how well you do, you know, check out your GPA and stuff like that. And after that, you're guaranteed admissions into certain colleges. I know the California UC system has that. You can get into like UC Davis, UC Santa Cruz, UC Riverside. If you attend, um, you know, accredited community colleges for like the first two years, um, a few other colleges that have a guaranteed transfer programs, um, which will save you a lot of money is the state university of New York system, mm-hmm. selected campuses. So you'll have to Google, uh, the university of Connecticut, the college of William and Mary, the university of Massachusetts at ha- Amherst and the university of Virginia. And those are some pretty good mm-hmm. colleges. Oh, yeah. There's really good colleges. And that's important. Um, looking at, and again, there are things you can do. Like if you have, you know, middle school age child, right? I think as a parent, some things you can do or looking at, I mean, on, there's so many scholarship opportunities available nowadays and you want to look online, uh, especially if there's, look at schools in your area, um, right? It, 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 see what those schools, what kind of scholarships they have um, on board already. So that way, before your child or in the beginning, say, even of your child's high school career, you already know what kind of marks they need to hit to qualify for certain scholarships or things they need to do. Oftentimes, some people don't really look at it until like their senior year of high school and they look at the scholarships and the scholarships like, oh, we need this GPA or this, uh, you know, be a part of this kind of organization or show these kind of things or experiences. And so you have those four years. If you know what they're kind of looking for ahead of time, you can prepare your child by making sure they're doing those things while they're in high school. So that way, when they go there, they can be very qualified for these scholarships. And also, like you probably hear of these things on social media of these kids getting like millions of dollars of scholarships and stuff like that. Uh, it's because they're applying to all these different things online. And there's so many that you can just rack up on these scholarships. Some scholarships will you know, go towards tuition. Some scholarships will be just straight money in your pocket that you can use towards, you know, books and fees and stuff like that. And so these are things you don't have to do last minute. If you know this is a goal for you and your children, as soon as they kind of start high school, you're looking at, okay, what schools are in the area? What's, what does my child want to do? Uh, what are the options? And then you have a good solid four years to kind of plan this and get their foot in the door. A lot of schools also, even at Purdue, a lot of schools have things where summer camps, summer programs and stuff like that, where you get to interact with faculty and be a part of labs and do experiments or go on conferences and all this kind of stuff. High school students coming in during the summer for these particular things that also gets your foot in the door. Uh, so that way, you know, if they need it, you want a scholarship, you never know who's on a board or who's approving a scholarship for a certain department, all that kind of stuff and networking uh, is important. So, and again, I'm saying this because, and I know many of the majority, many white folk noticed because when I was at Purdue, it was a lot of white kids in these programs, right? And so it's like a lot of a lot of black parents can also have their kids qualify and be there, but just are not aware that they exist and say, I didn't know I can put my my 15 year old in a summer camp for for science and building robots, even though they like doing that, and that also helped them get into this school and maybe even get a scholarship, right? So. Uh, just as a parent, kind of do your due diligence, because as a 14 year old, they're probably not thinking about all this kind of stuff. But you're thinking, oh, you're thinking of how much it's going to cost, where they want to go. So start kind of looking at them and guiding them in that direction. And it can be quite helpful. I completely agree. Um, 
Those are I. So when I was in high school, I attended um, between my 10th grade and 11th grade year a summer program at Smith uh, College in Massachusetts. And it was life changing in terms of just like resources and and being able to uh, just see where I could potentially go. Like without that program, I don't think I would be on the current path that um, that I'm on. Another thing that I think parents should think about, and it's kind of what you were saying, Ty, with making yourself more competitive, like looking for scholarships, you know, just trying to get those top GPAs, because there are a lot of top tier institutions that are way more affordable than you think they are if you can get in. And the reason that they are affordable is because they have such huge endowments that they have created these programs where if families make below a certain amount, they either don't pay for anything or they don't pay for tuition. So it it just depends on your income level. Now, the national household, uh, average household income is like 40 something thousand dollars, maybe $50,000. Now, so if you make above that, but you still make below like $65,000 a year, which, you know, that's still a decent amount is like higher than a national household average. But it's, you know, you're probably not like rolling in dough to where you can just afford a $50,000 a year college, you know, for all your kids. But if you make less than like $65,000 a year for your household, you can pretty much attend Harvard, uh, Princeton, Stanford, Dartmouth, all the Ivies and a lot of like other uh, elite institutions like Duke University without paying for tuition, room or board. If you can get in, which means you got to study hard to get into these schools, you got to get the standardized test scores. Now, for some of these schools, that's like if you want to go for completely free. Now, it's a few of these schools that have an even higher threshold where they will they won't give you tuition room and board, but they'll give you tuition if your family makes below, you know, either like one hundred thousand or one hundred and twenty five thousand. So Princeton. If your family makes less than $120,000 a year, and that's very generous, you don't pay tuition. You'll still pay room and board, but you don't pay tuition. You know, if your child can get into Stanford and you make less than $125,000 a year, they don't pay tuition. If your child can get into Dartmouth and you make less than $100,000 a year, you do not pay tuition. Like, (laughs) look. Look, I'm trying to get all of my friends, all of my family members who make less than these amounts to like get their kids studying hard as hell so they can get these free college educations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the truth. <laughs> and and for that room and board issue, say, oh, you know, maybe you don't qualify for tuition room and board, but you qualify for tuition. If you can get in, guess what? Sometimes you know, I can't say all schools, but a lot of schools have where you can be like a residential advisor and therefore you get room and board for free. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of students that take advantage of that. Um, they become RAs and they get their room and board for free. Mm-hmm. And the, cool, the interesting thing about this, too, uh, at least I would say for the SUNY system, is that they become RAs and it actually opens the door for them for additional opportunities. So once they're in the SUNY system as an RA, they can actually, after they graduate, apply to be like, RAs or, you know, higher position RAs at different schools, and they will also pay for their master's degree completely 
right, as they work for the school for that period of time. So not only do they accept, reap the benefits from a bachelor's level undergrad, but also can spill over into their opportunities into graduate school as well, getting a master's degree. And I actually have had some of my students look into that and go that route too. So, you know, you just got to, you got to know, kind of figure out, know the lay of the land and understand how things work. And, you know, ask people who have been there and done that as well to maybe get you to pay attention to things you may not have been ready to pay attention to so much before, beforehand. You were making those moves. Um, and, you know, kind of like we mentioned for graduate school, again, even if you do go to a master's program and, you know, you didn't go through with our little loophole, sometimes you can still look for assistantships, um, which is kind of like working for the university part time where you can get like, you know, some type of tuition discount or remission or like teaching fellowships to where you can get some type of discount or at least get a paycheck. Those opportunities are still available. I know that they do it at my graduate school. There are people that work in like the student uh, student affairs office or, you Mm -hmm. know, they help teach some of the classes um, like for undergrads. And, you know, they're able to like work out that work out that remission. So you just, you got to know, I think it's about knowing. And I think that's why the person asks, because if you don't have these conversations, then you won't know. Mm-hmm. Yep. Graduate school, the general ways, you can be a research assistant, you can be a teaching assistant. Um, you can, so, and once you get your master's degree, most of the time you qualify to teach your own courses as well. And most of the time, those are just like introductory courses for undergrads. Um, and then you also get things like fellowships, which are pretty much just scholarships for graduate school programs. Um, I had a fellowship, which was awesome. I would say the cool thing about a fellowship is, and if you can shoot for the fellowship, it's because it gives you the freedom and flexibility to not be held down by a particular person. So if I'm a RA and it's only catered to this one professor, sometimes that power gets abused and people get all crazy situations where the professor doesn't want them or holds their funding hostage. Or if they professor decides they don't want them anymore, then they, they lose their funding and they're trying to scramble to figure out how to pay for their college and education where a fellowship is. You can go do whatever you want. You're not held down to no one person because that money is not being um, coming through that person individual. It's your fellowship for your studies. All I had to do was just maintain a particular GPA and that money was coming in all the time, which which is also good. So so there are options. And if you want more information on that, for sure, hit us up. Also, we'll put up a link um, on the description of this episode uh, to this um, graduate school return on investment calculator. And you don't even have to just use it on graduate school. You can put in some undergrad stuff in there as well. But it lets you know you can put in particular information to see you know what you overall. You can put your age, your current salary. You can put the expected salary you have after you graduate, how many years you'll be in school, say if it's like two years to get a master's degree, how much that'll cost, the amount, if you're borrowing any, the amount that's covered, you put all into this little calculator to give you a nice little breakdown of chart and graphs as far as how long will it take you to pay back, and insurance, new salary, how much you'll make, while how much you would be losing out on making the current salary while you're in school and all this kind of stuff. So it's a good idea just to give you a snapshot of what uh, your your situation you're putting yourself in when you're thinking about going to going that route and the fundings for it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like Ty said, if you have any more like questions specifically about our journeys, 
um, or about like graduate school or undergrad in general, let us know. There's no one way, as you can see, even from our stories. Uh, but, you know, there there are little tips and, and strategies out there to, to make it work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, we didn't talk much about and I will post this link as well so you can dive into it a little deeper uh, from the from the college payoff um, article as well, because they also went to a breakdown as far as like what are the top 10 jobs for each education level. Right. What are the top 10 occupations for people less than high school? What are top 10 people, top 10 occupations for people in, uh, with high school associates and so on and so forth? So we'll post that information to uh, the link so you can check that out, too. So you can also have a good sense of like what are your potential options and career lifetime earnings and all that good stuff. Uh, but hopefully you guys, yeah, we, we shed some more light on this situation for y'all and uh, maybe filled in some blanks that were left out from the, the game of loans episode. Yeah. Um, we did. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the sky's the limit, you know, be, be smart about what you're trying to do and what you're trying to apply for. Uh, you know, pay attention to that loophole. Again, hit us up if you want some more information on that. Uh, <laughs> we could definitely shed some light on on that kind of stuff and just funding in general, uh, especially with graduate school. There's tons of different ways and we've seen and experienced, not maybe we experienced, but we probably know people who have. We can contact to get that information as well. Well, as always, continue to uh, listen to us, continue to follow us on our social media at BHD Podcast. Email us at Black and Highly Dangerous. Uh, no, email us at bhdpodcast at gmail.com and go to our website, www.blackandhighlydangerous.com. Um, continue, and as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear. If you're interested in continuing this and other conversations, visit our website, blackandhollydangerous.com to subscribe to our email list, suggest topics, and participate in our discussion forums. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at BHD Podcast. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate our podcast on your favorite platform. And as always, continue to be the oppressor's worst fear. <laughs>